0: There were some conversations before schools were locked down about, you know, maybe different ways of trying to serve students to work together. Because at that point, we were really trying to build, like, hands-on, end-of-class kind of culminating projects. After schools were shut down, that completely disappeared from our school. Like, there's almost... I would say almost entirely, nobody is sort of like thinking and planning in that way of how do we get students in rooms together, working together, um, talking together, collaborating on things together. And the push has very much been about trying to make sure that everything's accessible, that it's accessible, it's providing access to students and access to families um, to be able to pull things off of Google Classroom.
1: Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Várca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, uh, Right-wing and teacher Jessica, and community organizer and socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what s come. Uh, you can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZebDKE on Instagram. Uh, for those two social media handles and jessica's twitter handle at jhomie89 uh, please subscribe right to you turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode right um, so today's episode uh i'm hoping that andy will introduce it since it was a conversation that you had with former um colleague of yours it sounds strange to say that since you worked in SFUSD for so many years, and were very involved in the UESF United, Edu- United Educators of San Francisco uh, Union, Andy, and uh, and so, well, even former head, a colleague of mine, AJ, because even though we didn't know each other at the time, <laughs> I used to work at SFUSD. Uh, so we will be speaking with AJ and Joseph uh, from San Francisco Public Schools. Uh, as I said, that work in the San Francisco Unified School District, and uh, to tell us about their experience. Andy, why don't you take it off from here so that you can introduce uh, how we will be dis- speaking with our guests today?
2: Yeah, and it did make me a little sad when you said that former, like, uh, but AJ might be a former colleague, but she's a present friend. Um, and Joseph, um, well, but, but actually both Joseph and AJ are co-conspirators to our uh, circuits in the park. and. Thing that kind of kicked off a lot of things. So Joseph and AJ played a major role in that in that event happening. They were there. They also fed kids and parents pizza, so they should be censored as well. Clearly, um, but um, so I, I I feel real bond to both of you for that because um, that was a big event in my life, and I have actually abs- absolutely no regrets. I am so glad we did it. Um, and um, but uh, AJ is somebody who I've known for a long time. We are both in the ISO. International Socialist Organization, comrades together, union activists together, and gnashing our teeth during the last two years of COVID as we watched our union and fellow teachers go completely nuts and want to jab all their kids and close all the schools and things like that. And Joseph really is, that's how I've come to know Joseph is apparently he hasn't, he wasn't so happy about any of that as well. Um so what's interesting to me is both, and I'm hoping we can talk more about is. Both Joseph and AJ work at a school um, uh, where it's mostly a school that's m- moving more towards an online experience, and it's kind of a credit recovery school. It's it's for students who aren't really working out in regular school kind of thing uh, for high school students. Um, and from what I understand, AJ and Joseph have carved out an almost we'll, we'll see, but uh, a kind of a no uh, no online class like. And even I, who I'm against online, I'm like using Google Classroom and things like that. And from my understanding, AJ and Joseph, within a, much, within a school which is trying to go online, have carved out a space for doing none of that. Um, so I was really interested in hearing more about that. Um, definitely want to hear some more about how things have gone for them. Um, so that really is what I hope to cover today is their experience in trying to do that, what's been their successes, Uh, how did they even, how are they even able to pull that off Um, and what's been their experience, what have been, you know, and then why they're doing it, you know, just to hear from both of them about that. So that's what I hope we can talk about today. I I think in my, um, when I was talking to AJ, I thought immediately the title of this episode would be, no, this class is not online. (laughs) And so that's, that's what I think we're talking about. (laughs) Um, So
3: yeah I mean I'm I'm curious as to the school that you work at you know what kind of population do you serve can you tell us a little more about you know the students that
4: you you serve and you know that experience
0: yeah um okay <laughs> jump in fill in the spaces Joseph um it's a very small alternative it's a public school it's an alternative public school um so we Our students, our students, for the most part, have started high school at a traditional high school, and that school has not worked for them. And Mm -hmm. for a whole bunch of reasons, it could be um, emotional and mental health concerns. It could be hospitalization. It could be incarceration. It could be um, their need to work during school hours to support families. It could be uh, bullying. It could be medical issues. Um, It could just be. Not going to school to the point where they've been strongly recommended to try something else by the school that they were at um, it's very small it's we serve I don't know the exact numbers right now because a big portion of our students are in the districts um, are in online only only experiences online maybe Joseph is that about a third
4: I would say yeah about a third yeah
0: and the I mean our because of the kind of school we are we have students from every single neighborhood in the city we have an extremely um like if you look at a snapshot of our student population it's kind of a snapshot of the children of san francisco as far as like you look at racial demographics socioeconomic demographics so that kind of thing we do have is a much much higher percentage of students with um, ieps with special education you know designations and 504 plans which is a Plan that you can get when you have other health, emotional, or physical health concerns that fall outside of the traditional special education program.
2: So, um, well, basically, then tell us my understanding is your school is going more online. This year, how did you approach that? And how did you begin to carve out a non online presence? And can you describe more about? what your program actually uh, is. Um.
4: Yeah, I, you know, toward the end of last year, AJ and I realized that we did not want to be a Google Classrooms teachers. And so we came together to brainstorm how we would approach our administration, which for the most part is pretty um, accepting of ideas that are going to serve groups of students. So we had already worked with a group of kids in a, I guess, trimester um, kind of cohort model last year where other teachers were only seeing them in these hexes. So these hex hexmesters are part of the alternative schools in San Francisco where they will only be in our school with the teacher for six weeks, which for AJ and I and most teachers was not long enough to build a relationship, especially since students don't have to come every day to our school or our classes. So we had worked with a group of kids over 12 weeks and realized that They were having success in building relationships with one another, attending school regularly, having some sort of accountability for themselves and their partners. So we had brainstormed, how do we do this next school year, where we currently are. Uh, And so we had collected enough data for them to kind of get on board with AJ and I to see what this would look like.
0: I think the story for me starts even before schools were locked down with COVID, because I think it was something that because of the way our school is supposed to be serving students who have had a hard time, um, either just with the physical attendance at school or interacting with each other, The all these sort of online tools are very sort of like look like really good solutions for those students. And even before um, schools were shut down, there was already um, I think, a uh, tension between like just trying to put, put things and build classes in online platforms like mostly in Google Classroom um, where students could, you know, because it's, t- it's an independent study school and their attendance is not required every day where they could just sort of like interface with Google Classroom and participate in that way. And so there were some conversations before schools were locked down about you know, maybe different ways of trying to serve students to work together. Because at that point we were really trying to build like hands on end of class kind of culminating projects. After schools were shut down that completely disappeared from our school. Like there's almost, I would say almost entirely nobody is sort of like thinking and planning in that way of how do we get students in rooms together, working together Um, talking together, collaborating on things together. And the push has very much been about trying to make sure that everything's accessible, that it's accessible. It's providing access to students and access to families um, to be able to pull things off of Google Classroom. And I think it was just, for me, it came out of a lot of just heartbreak. And the fact that I will say a big part of it for me was the fact that Joseph was also experiencing like similar heartbreak, seeing what was happening to our students, trying to come back to school after they had been locked out of schools for over a year. Um, That we just, a lot of conversation about how we could do something that both tried to provide a space where they would come in and do things in real life with each other, but also to understand that nobody was in a position to just come back to school five days a week and jump in and start, you know, working and being vulnerable and taking risks and doing stuff with each other. And that was, that was the drive, I think, to start, start to try to build something um, a little bit different where, um, you know, we, a place where they would want to be <laughs> rather than where a place where they could be at home on their bed
2: and just to add one more thing, um, to give it the, maybe and you give some context about what your school is specifically doing. Mm-hmm. I'm at what would be considered a more traditional school that is supposed to be all in person. But as an all in person school, all of us teachers are told we've got to put our classes on Google Classroom, have students be able to access that so parents can access it, parents can be on Google Classroom. So there has been major inroads into all elements of, of schooling uh, in terms of the online presence. My understanding is your school is supposed to be going more online, and you're actually carving out something in the opposite direction. That's even, if you will, less online than the normal, so-called traditional school. That would be my understanding of what you're describing.
0: It that is. We don't. Have, we have. We do. We are required to have a Google Classroom. So we both have a Google classroom that says like our name and there's like nothing in it except for a document that tells you how to get in touch with us. (laughs) Like nothing there. Um, Because what we're building is about like coming in and touching a piece of paper and like sharing it with somebody else and like getting scissors and cutting things out and like, moving them around, taping them down and like cutting flowers apart. Like, you know, we're trying to do things with our hands and with each other and, and talk about it. So, um, and it's, I I mean, Joseph can probably share stories about, you know, we, in these first couple months, we've still, we are, I'm sure it will be this way all year because this tension is in our school site, but students asking like, can I just get you know, can I just get the assignment? Is it on the Google classroom? Can I just go home and do all of the, this work and come back and give you the work? And that, that's the thing that is just feels like, just so isolating and sad. (laughs) And, um, you know, like little cogs in a machine, a little factory assembly line of like filling in blanks and getting credit and getting paid with your grades and credits and moving on to the next thing so we're pushing back on that i think every week just with simple things like oh if you can't come in just send me a text and we can talk about what you might want to do if you can't be here
4: yeah and so i think
0: kind of push back from students like
5: like how many of them i mean is that kind of the norm or I'm just curious about kind of like the overall reception. Well, I do want to hear about like your colleagues and administrative, um, you know, um, like how it kind of fits into that. But, you know, just in terms of the students themselves, is that just sort of like a few students or are some of them really loving it and thriving or how is it going?
4: Yeah, I it, that if I was to give it a percentage, I would say it's probably, you know, a good 30% are pushing back or not pushing back, but always trying to find a different route from being in the classroom. And then we have a good chunk who are consistently there almost every day who are growing this skill of reaching outside their bubble. We had done class agreements and that was one of the things they had talked about. And there are a group who are really kind of pushing themselves in regards to that. And then there are those who have a hard time staying in the room and trying to find every which way to not have to be in the room to do the work. Um, But I think what AJ and I have done well, or it's still work in progress, are these moments where if they do wanna work outside the classroom, we have built in these checkpoints or mini lessons where they need to be with one of us to kind of have that point of contact. And most often they'll stay in the room and continue to work. There are those few who will then get that moment of checkpoint and then peace out.
0: there are so many, I mean, even the students who are there, I think, um, we're definitely seeing people who are, um, you know, building new relationships with each other, having conversations that we hadn't heard them having before. I mean, our steps are really, really these little baby steps of people just like interacting with each other in, in real life. Again, you know, it's very, is very clear to see their, um, you know, And this is, I'm sure across that everyone is seeing this in all schools, not just in ours, but their um, discomfort in, you know, being together in space for a long period of time somewhere where, um, you know, they've, they've already had so many negative experiences with school. And then that was completely interrupted. So who knows, you know, we have, we have a number of students who, they weren't doing online school either you know they weren't even doing the like sign into zoom turn off your camera play a video game and listen to your teacher thing like they just literally weren't in school for over a year um so it's really small steps that i, I think our you know goal is just one of our main goals is just to try to hold a space within a larger institution that seems very um not critical very non-critical of kind of the way that these tools and these um moving things online sort of is increasing isolation and difficulty for students to people to become humans <laughs> to be just to be human in the world and interacting with each other um there's not a lot of criticism criticism of that at our school and so I think I think I think of it really as like just trying to hold a space and create something really different in that space. I'm very thankful that we have had the, um, that we've been allowed to do that. And I have no idea how it's going to continue to develop as we go on, but it's um, really, really tiny goals for me at this point.
4: As soon as you said baby steps, it reminded me of, you know, one of our students, like the first four weeks in, he happened to be in AJ's class at this time where he, he was, I imagine feeling comfortable enough to move the hair away from his eyes mm-hmm. and engage with the group during the class meeting. I mean, I think we are tracking so many of those types of mm-hmm. behavioral changes that for AJ and I, when we see each other at lunch or one of our planning meetings, where you just see both of us like light up and go, oh my gosh, this happened today with so-and-so or wow, they're still struggling with this aspect of being in the group. Um, or so we went to the
0: park and they threw a ball with each other yes or, I right, mean like, <laughs>
4: right. the park day was a good one that was yeah, um yeah, mm-hmm. so it's little moments that I think so often the ways that our institutions are designed get plowed over overlooked, and it's I think today those are the little nuggets that are going to serve them much more than you know anything else that I think they're doing
2: and,
5: and so um, with those kind of very small milestones, are you able within, so, I mean, I teach college, so I have less knowledge than, um, probably like Andy and Eduardo do about K through 12 and sort of the way that success is tracked. Right. Um, I mean, I definitely have some broad scale thoughts, but, um, does that like, is there in terms of you guys, like, doing your job within this institution do you feel like you're able to take those milestones and kind of convert them um you know through the language of the institution like I don't know are, are they happy with you guys like for for what you're doing because I mean it sounds it sounds amazing to me but I know the way that success is usually tracked in you know education at large um,
4: in all transparency they don't know what we're doing because they haven't even bothered to ask now only they would now only know because yesterday I had my pre-evaluation meeting and decided to like take that opportunity to like this is what we're doing it's now been almost you know 11 weeks and so
0: conversations none no inquiry no questions no curiosity (laughs) nothing (laughs)
2: and and so I think we probably should get into what you're doing but I, I also want to point out that you're not just dealing with the fact that kids are being separated from each other or you, or teachers are being separated from students, but there is somebody coming directly into the room, the corporation, Google, all of them are now coming into that space. You know, as we all know on, on a Google document, when you compress history and you can know all those things, that's not just knowledge a teacher has, that's the knowledge the company has about every keystroke the student has done. So in a world of big data analytics and, and data analytics, it's literally handing over the classroom to this giant gorilla coming in um and that's what you're essentially getting out from under so it, you're it's not just a social emotional um thing of students being together you're also keeping some something out
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah um, i'm just curious about like
3: the feedback from parents you know i uh if you have any uh, about you know this situation compared to being online
0: what well, I- I can maybe say a little bit about what we're doing and how parents responded to it. So last spring, when we were knew that we were going to go ahead, you know, we kind of, we wanted to start with um, students that we had shared and that we knew already. Um, and so we had a lot of conversations with parents about what we were doing. And uh, for the, every single parent that I talked to about having their child be it with a completely different schedule and setup was extremely excited about what we were doing and said it sounded really, really, really great. And um everyone so far, I mean, you know, to the measure of the measure of what um the institution ultimately, I guess they're gonna look at credit acquisition and see, do we graduate these kids? And if we do, they'll be happy, you know. If we don't, they won't. Um, but I think for families, uh the conversations have been more about um, that they're talking about what they did at school, or they seem happier to come, or you know maybe they didn't come in at all this week, but they said they wanted to, and that's a total change from last year when they didn't want to go at all. Even if they didn't get out the door, like they, something was going on. Those are the kinds of things that uh, families are noticing. Um, we are sharing um, students and sharing curriculum so that the students' experience is that they may have. Me, see me on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and they may see Joseph on Tuesday or Thursday, but they're working on the same thing no matter what. We're not sort of siloed off into, you know, I'm teaching these subjects and Joseph's doing these. We're designing curriculum together um, that's based around some, each, you know, trimester is based around a question that we think is important for them to be thinking about. This first one that we're, getting ready to finish up right now is like, what's their San Francisco story where we're asking them to sort of tie themselves to the city through song, food, location, plant life, places. And, you know, as they go through that process, we started with something very personal and internal so that in the second trimester, our hope is that we're turning a little bit more outwards. And we're talking about, um, like San Francisco, um, a little bit more historically and uh, asking the question about where did the city come from? Where did we come from? Who's been here? Who's here now? What's, what's the deal with that? What connections can we make? What similarities do we see between each other? Um, trying to come a little bit outside of those shells. And we do that by having um, work or tasks for them to do that are sort of in different kind of areas or buckets I guess is the way we've been thinking about them right now. So they've been engaging with like learning about plant biology and flower reproduction and they've been learning about um, the history of the land and asking the question about how humans have interacted with the geography of the city and how the geography impacts us. We're looking at um, telling our own story through music and creating musical playlists and engaging with creating recipes for meaningful foods and creating timelines and wrestling with ideas of like proportionality and how time lives in our brain in one way. But if you work it out mathematically and proportionally, it looks different. We're throwing all this together in one big, beautiful map for the end of our trimester and trying to just like weave threads between these things where they can start where they want, work on what they want. They miss. A week of school they come back and pick up where they left off there's no us standing at the front of the room like delivering a lesson that then someone has missed they don't have that experience and what what am i leaving out for so much
4: so many things but i don't even know it was a good it <laughs> was a good encapsulation
0: oh talk about that the what we thought about the journal work that, that was interesting the, at the outside of school piece
4: yeah we had designed these journal works for each of these buckets or tasks that AJ was referring to in hopes that that would get them to interact with other humans. So one of them was about interviewing three other people about what music they were listening to at their particular age. So hopefully someone that was twice their age. Um, It was also for the timeline part about interacting with another, uh, with an adult who, what were they experiencing as a current event in their life at that time? Um, they were to go to a park near their neighborhood or somewhere else and say they like to go and kind of think about how people would design that, like what would a map maker think about or someone who's designing a park think about. Um, but interesting enough, it it didn't work out as well as we would have liked. You know, we found that for them doing the interviews, they would be in class texting the person they interview questions instead of taking the time in between class to actually have a conversation or excuses of oh I'm waiting for mom dad caregiver to be able to come home for work and I haven't been able to see them yet to do that or um...
0: I thought it was really like we were talking about it the other day it was very revealing of all of the stresses that are just the massive amount of stresses that are on families and people in general right now that um, you know three weeks four weeks, to try to capture somebody for 15 minutes to sit down to talk about you know, what songs you like when you were 16 years old, um, it was a very big ask. And I think that was a little bit, uh, that was unexpected for us. It was something that we hadn't um, anticipated. And I think for me has been just a learning about like, not just the amount, you know, the amount of stress, the amount of time that people are spending working, the amount of um, just, uh, the difficulty of approaching, like having conversations like that, there's just there's a lot going on there that I think um, it was good for to stop and sort of try to unpack that a little bit because it was a little bit surprising.
1: I wanted to go into the comment about the students pushing back. I was because I work with families in the Mission District in San Francisco, uh, not as an educator at the moment, but as a as like just community organizing, helping families uh do their advocacy, like speak up for themselves in schools. I we we've just been in the chronicle. The sch Elementary School was just in the chronicle about high absentees. I don't know if you any of you saw that for elementary school. And I I knew something like this would happen once you started putting families or students out like You know, away from, or or you started having them at distant learning, and so that's why I'm not surprised with like the students that I think it was Joseph who mentioned it or or AJ about pushing back, like I just want to come to school and just is there a way to be online or just text or do something because it's like it takes a lot of work to get like massive stu amounts of students or or families to get habituated to something, and then to unravel that 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 habit of coming to school or coming to work on time or getting to somewhere uh, in person. And then suddenly you break that, oh, everyone's at home. And then everybody's trying to find an easy way because of course school is not cool. School is discouraging in many ways if you're stamped to be graded just to go and then fail. So what's the purpose of school? So that's not where my interest is at. So I have to attend. So it's all these things. And of course they're the high achievers But largely, especially in public schools where I attended and also have raised an adolescent in it, you have students struggling to find the meaning and purpose of going to public education. It's like, what is the purpose of going if I'm just not going to make it to making all these hoops to go to university as I'm being told that's what school is for, right? You're supposed to be conditioned for that. And so that pushback that both of you mentioned, I was just... um, just saw as like uh, that is more of what has happened because of distant learning (laughs) because now you've gotten you're making students feel like okay they already feel like school is not a place you know and then suddenly you have distant learning it's like oh suddenly oh another way for me to just distance myself further when school and I've had an adolescent in my home and I've lived with one and raised one so Sometimes they don't want to do certain things, but those experiences of being there, like the whole thing about like slipping your hair, like small things like that, where now, unfortunately with masks, if you see students wearing them, they're not really wearing them because of COVID. It's more of just trying to hide themselves behind a mask, which they were already trying to do before then, right? But like that, that about that students with uncovering their hair, pushing them to life experiences where they have to interact. This is such a wonderful thing. I'm so proud and so encouraged and moved that both of you are continuing to do that work at your site, because it is something that we need for our students, for families, for people, for just general like, well-being, Oh, you know? And I guess where I wanted to, yeah, that was my next, well, my question following to this is like, this is something that was initiated by you two, if that's my understanding what was the response to your colleagues? What were they thinking about this? What? How did you both bring this up to your principal? How did you both talk about this in staff meetings and what was that response like? Was there pushback from them or was there any discussion? Because we both, all of us here know, know that most of the people who say they didn't want, they use COVID as an excuse to It's not really, because if you notice, I mean, I'm seeing families who say that it's because COVID, they're not going to school. And I'm talking to them. I'm like, well, I see you over the weekend having pachangas, like, you know, or like parties, you know, over the weekend. So I know it's not about COVID. I talk to them, you know, (laughs) or teachers talking about every student needs to wear a mask. And then suddenly happy hour comes and everybody's just partying, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, A little too. <laughs> I don't know about this mask requirement for everyone else it applies to everyone else but yourselves, you know. Because I've seen this. So, what was the response like? What for from your from your co colleagues and from the Prince administration and just from SFUST in general? Did they have any involvement? Did they say anything about it, or was just at your school?
4: I mean, I'll come back. I think I I said it before, and as you said, even like, how did our colleagues respond? I I none of them really know, or it wasn't even in a big announcement. Um, I mean, I have a story of why AJ and I were able to do it. And that's partially because I, th- I think administration and some of our colleagues are intimidated by us or um, yeah, but no one really has asked to this day about what we're doing, at least not to me. Um, I think most of the teachers were just trying to stay above water. So for them, it was kind of being in the routine of what they had done the year before. And for them to think of something new probably would have been overwhelming for them. I'm guessing. I don't know. I just know that it really has been AJ. My experience has been AJ and I in our uh, a school within a school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so therefore people have left us alone, which, you know, I'm all for. Um, But on the downside is that no one really knows what we're doing or how we're doing it.
0: One thing I've noticed in just sort of uh, passing conversations or comments or questions, the very few questions that um, people have had is that It's interesting to me that there is an assumption that what we're doing is some sort of like intervention or help for failing students or students for whom like things are going wrong. Like there's a way that the, you know, I very much agree that especially uh, with what's happened coming back this year that which was that like our student body, we went from being chronically under enrolled to having a waiting list because of schools being shut down for over a year, like now (laughs) we are completely full. And so I do think that there is definitely a huge element of like people just trying to stay afloat and going straight ahead. But um, I don't know if you've heard that too, Joseph, but it's just like, I have, that's, those are the only conversations I've had like, Oh, it, this is, it's not an intervention. Like, actually, I think this would be better if the whole school were like this, (laughs) you know Um, it's, that's where it's at right now. But yeah, we, we have we're very much like I agree with that. It's we're like we're building a tiny school within a school where something totally different is happening in terms of what the experience is in the classroom, the schedule, how grades and credits work, like all of that is utterly and completely different from what's happening for the rest of the students at school.
1: But you had to bring it up to your administration. Mm-hmm first so what was that like what how did you present it what what was the response from administration even if you didn't get a response from your colleagues oh yeah
0: it's true i i agree with what joseph said that in general experimentation or we're going to try something different or we've got an idea that we think will work better for students in general they're pretty much like go for it you know if it's especially if it's not like requiring change or a lot from us like do it you know what i'm saying and in order for us to do this, like, we made a little bit of a deal. We really didn't want to continue to teach classes in the other whatever, the, the way that everyone else is, but we both accepted that we would. We both also teach class outside of this um, with, you know, in the... In the, in the whatever way we can <laughs> in a model that's a, different than what we're trying to, to build. That was kind of the deal that was made with us. Like we can't just wall you off from the school completely and let you just have those students. You need to carry a higher student load. And we made that, we accepted that, that deal. Um, but I think it's because what was interesting is when we kind of proposed what we were gonna do and said who we had in mind for it. Like I said, it was students that we had worked with last year and um we sort of had like this vague sense of like how we thought we wanted to build a cohort of students and our vice principal took that list and ran it against the demographics of the school he's like well i'm going to compare this data to sort of make sure you're not like cherry picking or i don't know and that was the those words were not said but that was completely how i understood the intention was that you're not like you know making some sort of selection and when When that spreadsheet was shared with us, the student that we have picked matched the demographics of our school in every single category right down the line, except for we have about half of our students have 504 plans and IEPs. So we have an even higher percentage. Our school, I think, in general, is about a third. So we have an even higher percentage of students Mm -hmm. in that category, but everywhere down the line, it was like a match to our school. And that to me was like a moment of recognition of like the gut of people who work with in schools for a long time and do the work and teach students and build relationships with students and families. It's like, that's what we had picked. We didn't need a spreadsheet or like sit down and like look at categories and like check things off. This was just, this was who we picked because we know our students.
2: And um, the thing I first of all, and my impression, as opposed to a a regular high school, where each student is going to see multiple teachers around courses, a math course will be a different teacher than a history course than an English course, this sounds constructed a little bit more like an elementary school, where you and Joseph, where both you and Joseph are, are kind of introducing the students to everything. Um, uh, So, could you talk more? Take us through a student day. And could you talk a little bit about assessment and those things, how it's how it's normally done and how you are approaching it? um because I can definitely tell you at middle school and high school, you know it's like quizzes and tests and A's, B's, and C's and stuff like that. So I'm wondering um, what 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 the approach is that you you all have taken?
4: Yeah, I can uh, I'll start with the schedule. So as AJ mentioned before, we have two cohorts. There's a group in which I see Monday, Wednesday, Friday that she will see Tuesday, Thursday, and then flip that around and they are the goal is to be with us from 10 to 12 Monday through Friday and Monday through Thursday are the days in which they are working on these academic tasks and then Fridays are our advisory days also a day at school where they're doing workshops with the rest of the student body around wellness or college preparation workforce um, fun and games things of that nature So when they come to our class, which again is from like 10.05 to 12.10, they have the first 30 minutes where they're arriving. They're kind of acclimating themselves, coming into the room. We have what we call a quick start. I guess you would refer to that maybe also as like a bell ringer, where they're kind of setting a goal for themselves for that day or working on material that might support them for what would come next, which is a classroom meeting that we'll do for about 20 minutes where we bring them together, talk about whatever we need to talk about, and then they have a good hour and 10, 15 minutes to work on these tasks at whatever pace they are and take breaks if they need to and things of that nature.
0: Yeah. They, yeah, we could, did a kickoff at the beginning of the trimester to kind of introduce them to here's the sort of world of things you can work on in the next 12 weeks. And then they sort of are picking their path through that, whatever interests them to work on um, next. and We are in almost constant conversation about tension and contradiction in grading and credits in high school because we are trapped in this hellish system of (laughs) rewarding children for coming to school by paying them in grades and credits and letting them know how worthwhile they are as human beings through this ridiculous thing. So, what we are doing. Right now, um, there's no grades because everybody gets an A. That's the only grade in our class. And um, we have a total number of credits that, you know, as a high school student, you have to get so many credits to get that diploma. So we look at that number of credits and sort of portion it out uh, amongst the work. And, um, you know, they have 12 weeks and if they do. Um, you know, if they touch in all of these say four areas in the sort of portfolio or final project, you know, they can get their full 20 credits. And right, so right now we're kind of in this area of, it's coming to the end of the trimester. And we had lots of conversation between the two of us about how to approach conversations with students about, um, you know, who have not, you know, say maybe only worked in two of those four areas or really only worked in three of those four areas and how we wanna talk about that with them and with their families and um we've also done lots of things as we go along like you know recognizing that for this individual student it would make more sense to maybe remove this one task or combine these two things or you know making those sort of individual adjustments as we go um so that we're trying to prioritize like what can what how can we get them to engage with these questions that we think are important and not necessarily you must complete all of these assignments on this sheet um And one thing I thought was interesting this week is having some of those conversations with students who, when Joseph and I were talking earlier in the week, I personally anticipated a lot more like, uh, I would say, disappointment and sort of shock of reality of like, what? I've sat down and looked at what I've done and you're telling me this is going to be 16 credits, not 20. And my experience actually this week was of a lot of students being like, Hey, that's a lot better than I did last spring. Like, that's fine. That's great. You know, you're right. I really did not come as many days as I should have. Like, I was only 17, like I wasn't here, you know, like that is was much more of my experience um than anybody being shocked and outraged. But I will say this work is nothing but us talking about contradictions that we're trapped in and trying to figure out like. How we want to try to navigate that in a way that keeps the humanity of our students kind of at the center and our principles and beliefs.
1: So I'm curious about um,
3: what the expectation is of you know this population of students that you're serving, Um, because I mean my understanding is like you know a lot of teachers had to teach for metrics right and for testing and in other schools. So I'm wondering uh, what the expectation is of this population, right, that has more, quote-unquote, challenges than than other, quote-unquote, normal kids, right, Uh, in a normal, quote-unquote, school. So I'm wondering as to, you know, if that plays into the hands-off approach that the administration has so far. Um, And So, yeah, again, to... Reiterate is what is the expectation of these kids in terms of metrics
0: and grading? And, like, um, yeah, I think ultimately it's will they graduate, will they get a high school diploma? And then I'd say below that is will they do it in four years or close to that? Um, And outside of that, um, I mean, you know, it's. I would say ultimately that's it for the school. That's it. It's the purpose of the alternative schools in San Francisco unified. It's their way to provide, you know, a reason for their existence is to be the sort of last hope um, for a lot of students of getting that diploma and um, graduation rate and credit acquisition by grade period is, you know, like that's the kind of, numbers that people are going to look at, you know, um, I think within our school, that's not largely what our staff is interested in. Um, most of them are, you know, interested in making sure that students become (laughs) whole, healthy, happy adults. (laughs) But I would say, um, the idea that we need to really seriously look or that we could really seriously look at and try some different things in how we're actually doing the teaching part of that um, is much more limited. It's not a question, not not a conversation I've been able to have with many people, and the idea of like what people might actually be learning or thinking about while they're in the process of learning or what their experience of learning is. um those conversations are. Few and far between, um, unfortunately, it often boils down to is work getting done. If I had to put a sentence on a bumper sticker or something, it would be like, is the work done? Is the work done? Is the work done?
4: Which just to clarify, the, I think that is the bumper sticker of this school, given as an independent study school, there's a different ed code in which we fall under which work counts as attendance and that we are required to show these physical artifacts. Um, And so therefore, that is a lot of the the motto of like, well, did they get their assignments in to get their credits? Not, are they learning how to be with one another? Are they learning how to communicate things of that nature? So AJ and Error, you know, in our own ways, pushing up against that narrative, so we can provide a different experience for them. So you mentioned that Teachers at this
3: school by and large want to um you know make sure these kids are you know human beings um yet a lot of these other teachers are going with the systems right that are you know contrary to that goal and, and so what is the difference you know what sets you apart from those other teachers maybe i don't I don't know if you know you can comment on that or because i mean you you all have the same intention right of you know working with a population that needs you know individualized attention even though everyone should but um you know it, it, you're working with what you got so what would maybe bring other teachers to the same you know point
0: oh man <laughs> i think i was just saying something about this today i mean it's I'm trying not to go on too long, but I think it's just tied up with so many things for me. Um, I mean, it's tied up with a million things. I guess the things I want to share right now that I think might be uh, important or further the discussion are that um, it's weird because I have spent, I would say, Most of the 23 years that I've been teaching, talking with other teachers, uh, like, against this idea of, like, you're not going to make a revolution in your one classroom. You're not going to change the world by being a teacher. You're not not in these words, (laughs) but, you know, that argument, (laughs) that strong sort of, like, social justice teacher current of, like, I'm a history teacher, and I teach about John Brown's rebellion. So I'm changing the world because now my students are going to become revolutionaries. And, you know, like that sort of strand of teaching, I've spent a lot of uh, time talking about how I think that's not a path to changing the world. Um, And I still believe that. Um, And I also find myself at a place in my life as somebody who is, uh, will still say I'm a revolutionary. I think the whole system has to go. I think only a revolution will get rid of capitalism. I don't think there's any other way we're going to get rid of it. We're going to have to rebuild it from the bottom up. Only regular folks can do that. I believe all of that. And I am, my experience of the last few years has um, really, I guess, first I went through the destruction of my community of what was a revolutionary socialist organization, where I thought I was like working towards that goal. And then I watched like my union where I thought I was like maybe connecting to people and like working towards that goal, like utterly turned into a piece of garbage behind what happened with like COVID and also just sort of reveal in all of its nakedness, like what a just pointless institution it was like, that's gone. I can't participate or interface in that in any way that feels productive or at all good to me. And So I do think, you know, there's a part of it where I have this energy, I have this energy inside of me that wants to like, um, connect with people and believes very much in like the ability of normal people, regular, all of us (laughs) to make change and like capacity to live our own lives. And my community right now and the space where I can put my energy to do that is by making this interesting, safe place where I work and i I don't think that's the same thing as thinking that I'm like fooling myself into thinking I'm changing the world through this model, but it is where my it is kind of where my where my energy that that same fire um, has any kind of outlet right now, to be honest
4: and I think that you know our colleagues at our school who you know have the best interests of kids in mind i I think are just tired, and so it would require them to create something outside of the model in which administration has given. And, you know, I want to believe they're doing the best they can in the limited time they have with students, which is one hour twice a week uh, for their classes. Um, But I, I just think they're tired and maybe don't have that aliveness that maybe AJ and I have in this current stage of our professional careers where we're wanting to shake things up. I think they're just kind of going along with what they got to survive in all the ways that most people are.
0: But I think they're also just wrong about like the danger that it poses too. Like they, they are, it is tired, like we're all tired, you know, like we've all yeah. really, I think there's just, I think a lot of people are just wrong. Like they thought it and still think look how many of our colleagues are still wearing their masks every single day at work put them on when students get in the building like every day you know like some ideas out there that i really disagree with about like you know they're they're still believing that there's something to be afraid of and they're still believing that there's not really that much harm in putting all of students information having it all available and linked on this network of apps and platforms that are all talking to each other and like I mean look at that that whole thing with that freaking snitching app that came in and like not a peep not a peep from anybody about this app that the school district's using now with all middle and high school just like tap on your phone. Ooh, my friend's going to bomb the school, like sends it off to some privately run call center in Florida. Yeah. They're just wrong. <laughs> yeah. That, we
5: just had a faculty meeting at my institution the other day and um, we were talking about this third-party software that they use for their advising um, for the whole school. And that data, uh, it came to light, is being shared with another third party, corporate third party that um, the institution has hired to facilitate diversity and equity and blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was so interesting because like a couple of the senior faculty actually raised their hands and were like, wait, what? We're not okay with that. We put really personal stuff into our advising notes and this is unethical and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't really clear, um, you know, the sort of person who was representing administration and student affairs was like, "Well, let me get back to you. I'm not exactly sure in what capacity what data is going to who or whatever." Right? Um, and I I followed up with those faculty because they're like, well, "Well, we'll get back to you." So I followed up with them like just the other day. Um, I was like, "Did you hear back? Like, where is that data going?" Um, and they were like, "Well," Um apparently it's disaggregated. So we're totally fine with that. <laughs> you know? It's just like these like lack of I don't know. It's just like you're you're wrong. You're not like you're you're fundamentally not understanding why the technology is so dangerous to students. Anyway, um I had a question, just I, I mean it, just hearing you guys describe um parents, administration, colleagues, and then I mean, to some extent, the students themselves, it sounds like it doesn't really sound like that subversive, right? Like, that's not like the energy, like, you just, it all sounds completely logical and fair, like, even within this uh, horrible system. So I'm just kind of curious, like, I understand that the administration is, you know, sort of hands off. Um, For now, and I mean, to some extent, I think that's what what most instructors of any kind like. I mean, that's partly why I went into teaching university (laughs) instead of K-12 is because to some extent, they leave you alone more. Um, It's pretty rare that I have somebody like sitting in the back of my classroom assessing whatever. But I don't know. I mean, do you feel like you're doing something subversive or is that is that like a a thing on your mind or I mean, it sounds like you're pretty focused just on each of these individual students, but I think it's even just like the questions that us have been asking, you know, we're like, what did the principal say? Like, what, didn't jaws like drop to the ground, which is, you know, I mean, that's indicative of all of our experiences of trying to do just like even the slightest change. Um, and it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly like a non-conformist project, but do you, do you feel like you're doing something really subversive in the eyes of your institution? And,
0: yeah, I think what is, what is, if people were to look inside at what we were doing, I think there would be probably a lot of questions like what these students are going to graduate from from high school and they will never have explored sine functions or like what these students are not going to master quadratic functions before they're because there's obviously you know choices that we're making about things that we think are going to fit well we actually are going to do sine functions but it's going to fit really well but we have to make these kind of decisions about what seems like relative and exciting and you can put your hands on it and it's going to be generative of curiosity and like doing stuff but you know like we are teaching language neither one of us know anything about teaching foreign language neither one of us are fluent in another language but we're gonna be assigning students Spanish credit and that might be for doing a sort of self-paced uh, Korean study for 12 weeks like and we're gonna give Spanish credit for that so there is stuff like that you know <laughs> where we're constantly like, and because we actually can do that, because we're an alternative school, we have a lot of flexibility. In we all we both have multiple subject credentials. That's what you're supposed to have. This the kind of school that we work at. Like, you know, we have flexibility in there, but there are questions like that that I think rub up against the expectation of um, other, uh, of families, for sure, of other teachers, and of us just sort of, like, having been indoctrinating ourselves, having gone to and taught in these schools of, like, is that okay that we're doing that, you know? Like, is, is that going to be all right?
4: Yeah, when you asked that question, Jesse, I, my first response was, like, we're just, like, this is just, like, good old-fashioned teaching. Like, it just feels <laughs> like we're just... Doing what we probably both have been doing, you know, been teaching as long as AJ, it feels to me like that. And yes, in the ways that AJ said, there is this subversion that's happening because of our credentials, the school we're at, and what we're assigning credit and grades for. Um, But outside of that, it just, I think, because we have created a school within a school, um, it doesn't feel so subversive because it's AJ and I and we're doing what we do. But in the bigger scheme, sure, there's, that's happening. And I think it's just natural because of who we both are.
2: Well, to me, where the, sub, the subversive element comes, comes from the, rec- I imagine your, your recognition of what the threat is versus what our colleagues thought the threat was. Our colleagues thought the threat of these last two years was something that was related to health or a virus or a sickness. A sickness that was like a bug that you could catch. That's what they thought the threat was. And by and large, you have identified the threat as institutions, corporations, and I would say particularly the ones who are interested in the big data area. And you are cutting out within within an overall thrust. Like here's what we've seen in education. Overall tech has moved, made deep inroads into education on all levels. I'm using Google Classroom more than you are. And I'm in a school where kids are supposed to come every day. And by and large, they do come every day. But I'm, in a sense, being forced. I'm now thinking about if there's a way I could carve out something now. I'm thinking about that as I listen to you. But what's useful in that is to say, I know that what the the project is of the real threat, not the COVID threat, but the threat of tech, the threat of corporations, the threat of of capitalism, is basically eradicating brick-and-mortar schools and turning everyone into data collection uh my, mining everyone's data, both the teacher and the student, um, and and turning s- uh, society into an atomized thing of teleschool, telemedicine, everything like that. So if you form this bubble pocket, you're kind of saying, Come, k- k- are you going to eliminate this pocket? And that is a because that's what they will have to do, or they'll be like, all right, we we're gonna go around that. There. There's not enough pocket, we don't have to deal with that many pockets. We'll let they, we'll let Joseph and AJ do their thing, you know. But by and large, that's that is the thing because you're recognizing where the threat actually is coming from. Um, and I do think that's also why you're animated around your own work because you see what's actually taking place. Whereas most teachers that I know feel really, even ones who care about the kids, are are sleepwalking. I don't think they. I think it's because in their lizard brain, they something understands. They have literally been co-opted and are literally destroying the lives of their kids and destroying the institutions that they say they're dedicated to. So, it's not that's not it's not very exciting to actually hand your kids over to to the state and to big tech. I just want to
3: say that for me, what you're doing is very subversive in this, in the this sense that, you know, you're focusing on humanity, right? In this show, we've talked about so much about humanity that, that that's the fight that we're engaging in, uh, you know, by having these conversations, doing our own individual actions. And, you know, these kids, you know, will be the ones that I hope have that connection to their own humanity and the humanity of others. You know, I'm more afraid of those kids who are learning to measure everything, to program, to engineer everything, to not accept uniqueness. Those are the kids that I'm afraid of. You know, those are the soldiers that are gonna run this world. You know, in and, and I have the hope that the people who have, you know, that are more in touch with their humanity, you know, uh, that's, we're going to need more of that, right? You know, uh, we need more of that right now. We will need it more in the future. And so, you know, I think what you're doing is great. And, and what, what I'm saying is I hope to find more people like you, all of you. You know, you're all teachers. I'm not an educator in that sense. But I will have to be right. I will have to learn. But I'm hoping I can find more teachers like you that 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 care about the humanity and not, you know, just running the machine that stamps, you know, kids into into this system of capitalism. And and so, I do appreciate what you're doing. I see it, and I think it's it is radical. And I think the most radical thing to do now is to be human, to show and and encourage each other to stay human.
2: Um. I do have one question that's kind of structure related because I, I noticed the time of your class and and Kenny got it. One of the ways you responded to Kenny's question did really make it clear that your particular school falls much less under the rubric of standardized testing. So it's 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 not measured. It's success is not measured on the basis of how are students improving on these standardized tests. So how much would you say? the fact that your school is outside of that standardized test um, area and has a sh- you have a shorter day, it doesn't go from eight to two, um, I think, if I'm hearing it right, do how much do those elements um, make it possible to do what you're doing? And if those elements were changed, do you think it would be almost, it would, well, do you think it would make it impossible to do what you're doing? I don't
0: think any alternative schools that were going to be measured on the basis of standardized tests. And I think that I I cannot imagine how you would ever possibly do this at a comprehensive high school with 3,000 students. I don't, there's no way it would never happen. It's, (laughs) I can't imagine how it would ever be allowed to happen or happen (laughs) at all. So I I think it's, uh, I think it's if you, yeah, I think it's the size of the institution does matter. Um, the different rules that we are operating in um do matter. Um but I don't know that it's a standardized test per se as much as it is the fact that we're allowed to have flexible scheduling. Um so that although I would love to have them all day, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't mind that at all. Um I don't know it's, you know what high school so much just mean counting it's just credit numbers and course hours and schedule shuffling it's just it's insanity can you imagine like a mission would ever been able to put something like this in at Mission?
2: i can i just can't see the teachers getting behind it hmm. and i think they would say that the students are not being prepared for college they keep they would keep saying the students are not being prepared for college they would use that as the excuse for why they have to drive them through this cattle thing right right
0: yeah i mean they're not ready
5: for college in the regular system
0: (laughs) yep but i that's that's definitely the fact that we are not you know the percentage of students that we have that go to or complete college is small that is not a Preparing kids for college is not a big message. Although Uh, we do like to try to drive them into college classes that we absolutely know they're not ready for. (laughs) We do that, we're really good at that.
2: (laughs) But I I will say that this whole thing has given me a sense structurally of how our society uses its college system to both condition both ends of of the workforce. Those Those who enter in, and it's interesting to me that colleges have been the mainstays for you. Ha- that's where people have to get vaxxed. And, you know, now the CDC is trying to push it, the, the vaccine schedule even back further. But the one area, the bridgehead they've really built is in the, is in the California college system. And I see, I feel like I, that seems to be the way, one of the wedges by which they control workers coming in and, you know, as students and then workers going out. Um, and now, like, it, it, just, it just seems to be a tool. Well, my question would be, what do you hope comes of what you're doing this year and maybe in subsequent years? Or do you, have, you, have you thought about that? And have you, because I will say your model is a model that would work for anybody who's trying to homeschool their kid.
0: I, I hope that they, uh, I hope to, that we start to see students say hello and goodbye to each other that would be a major milestone. I would be so excited if that happened at all before the end of this year. Um, I would be really excited if we saw um, our uh, attendance stabilize a little bit because that would say to me that it's a pleasurable and safe place to be um, for more students and Um, I would very much like to have a whole other group that we do in the afternoon from one to three next year. That would be my hope, that we get to double in size and get a whole other group of students. Um, And um, I would like to see uh, colleagues have curiosity about what we're doing and talk about it and be interested in doing it themselves, although I am extremely pessimistic about that. Um, I do uh, hold out hopes for a few folks maybe being interested. Um, I think that would be a good thing, although I don't expect it. (laughs) Those are my small hopes right now. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I think the umbrella, I would put some of those in that AJ said, you know, watching the students be able to self regulate. Um, and for me, that's like that attendance kind of increasing where they're able to regulate themselves in an environment that historically for them has maybe been really activating. So if, if I'm able to see them kind of regulate themselves more and stay with whatever's happening while they're in the classroom, that would be a win for me. Um, and definitely like AJ said, be able to say hello to one another and understand that, um, there's something in, you know, social solidarity, that idea of, you know, we We want to be with one another. We need one another in order to learn and grow and thrive. I would hope that they would start to recognize that. Um, And, you know, good old self-management, whatever that might be, whether that's managing time, managing, you know, the work that's coming to them, managing their own expectations. Um, Those would be things that I would hope to see in them by the end of the year, which I think we're starting to see those little things you know, each week
2: already. So, Joseph, do you have any um, bigger aspirations for the program? If so I could call it that, like you and AJ are doing.
4: Oh, I, I would echo what AJ said. If I can do this and move out of having to do the other program, which is put up a Google Classroom, put my assignments in there for the students to access without ever having to see me. Yes. So, if I could have, if AJ and I could have, you know, two cohorts each and we're serving twice the amount of kids we are now, that would be ideal. I mean, this is probably the first time in a long time. I've been at independence a little bit longer than AJ, and this is the first year in a long time where that teacher body in me is so alive, so wanting to put in um, the effort to think outside the box in regards to how we serve and be with these kids. So if I could do more of that, uh,
2: please, please and thank you. That's it for me. I don't know if Penny was
4: going to
1: ask a
3: question. I mean, this might change the tone a little bit, but I'm curious about you as, you know, individuals in in this struggle, you know, and you know, is, is there a cost, right, you know, for you for doing this right now, and you know, how do you sustain yourselves? Um, maybe if you can share that.
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I that's a good question, Kenny. i I was stuck with the word cost and. Sure, there's there's a level of constantly being on as we're creating new stuff and kind of reimagining. But I, I see most of this as like a deposit into, you know, my life units. One, being able to work with AJ, you know, we both have a great working relationship and we see things similarly and offer a different perspective that only enhances what we're doing. So being able to be with a colleague in a way that we are with one another is enlivening um but if there's a cost i mean i'm tired like everyone else and we're constantly on i mean i was telling aj to yesterday i feel like she might be end up being one of my longest term relationships i mean i see aj throughout the i mean a lot we aj and I are with each other a lot in the day <laughs> so um i don't know if there is a cost other than just the amount of time we are having to invest into creating something that in reality is you know investing into something that is very worthwhile and going to change things.
5: I could just interject for one sec before AJ goes, but I mean, even that, like spending that much time with a colleague, I I don't know about K through 12, but I know like at the higher education level, that is extremely rare. Like for the most part, we're all just kind of isolated, like doing our own thing. And there's not that many, I mean, there's, there's faculty meetings, right. But those aren't like real opportunities to like actually collaborate and build a relationship with other teachers so even that in and of itself sounds like you know sort of a different version of what you guys are doing with the students with each other.
0: Definitely absolutely I've only a few times you know have I felt like found myself in genuine like very fruitful and ongoing active collaboration with people as a teacher i'm very very grateful and happy to be doing that now i don't think it would have happened without the experience that we had of both of us having to be with deal with being unvaccinated individuals inside of like this bullshit world of the last two years like it is you know it's Uh, there's no accident of why Joseph and I are two people sitting here talking to you about this is what we ended up doing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I have uh, been pretty uh, rigid and protecting of like, I work at work and I don't work at home. And that's how I survive inside this gross system that I work in, you know, and that's sort of been my, uh, my path for, you know, till I got to a certain level of uh Experience with the job where I could do that. I couldn't do that as an early teacher, but at a certain point, it's like I don't work past my hours. I don't work on my lunch. Like I don't do that. And, you know, this year, you know, I, I'm not like taking work home all the time, but my brain, I, I mean, I'm working, like I'm thinking about work a lot. Um, I've had to those lines have softened up a little bit more for me because but it feels very fruitful right now like it is exciting it is challenging it is creative um so but I do think you know that for me would be part of the question of where the the cost is um and I think you know uh I don't I wouldn't really say it's a cost but I know that it I know that we continue to be two people on an Island where uh, that's not, you know, I'm not, I don't know how to really categorize that, but us making this decision to do this, you know, first it was the annoying people complaining about having to test all the time and like not being vaccinated and trying to get people not to sign a bullshit form. And then now we're just like the people, Oh, you go off and like build your own school inside the school. And, like, that's what you're doing now. So it's not exactly like put us in the mainstream of building solidarity with our coworkers, but Hey, I fucking tried that <laughs> all through this whole school lockdown thing. And it was like, you know, nobody's coming along for the party so Joseph is so it's a two-person party <laughs> and um, I do want to keep those I'm not going to go home and work every weekend and not get paid for it and that kind of thing because ultimately I know this institution's just gonna it's gonna suck all the life out of me until I hopefully can retire unless everything collapses and my pension goes away you know but for now I don't really feel there's any
2: cost. And I can certainly say, and Brandy's seen this for me, I, I'm i putting, i have probably putting just as much work that you two are putting in, but I don't think I'm getting that same level of value out of my work. I can say that I probably feel like 20% of what I attempt to do of building connections and try, trying really the emphasis of getting to know my students, getting to know my colleagues, and getting to know the parents better, that feels like I'm, that outcome is about twenty percent of what I'm really of the energy I'm spending. I feel like I would invert that when I'm listening from you. Um, and that's a big deal um, because it's it is more it is more difficult to be in my situation than yours. It's why I'm looking to build connections with parents who are trying to homeschool and things like that. But that's why I was so fascinated a j by what you're describing because i'm it's getting me to think, is there a way for me to build uh, that kind of thing in my school? Um, where I just keep it as, a, you know, the shingle of Google Classroom, but it's empty behind, you know, it's like a, it's like a Hollywood set, <laughs> you know, um, not that that, well, that, and that's a very important piece of that. So um, I it's given me a vision of saying, maybe I can do that because in me, for me, that would, would be laying the groundwork for finding parents that I could be involved in education with, in a more, in a way that I'm, that's more in tune with what I believe we need to do, which I feel like you are much more doing that than than I am right now. Not as a judgment, or in, it's just that's what's so interesting about the story.
1: I just, I think I'm as we're wrapping up. I just wanted to commend you both again. It's amazing. I'm hoping that we could get some level at my school better than pre-pandemic times um you know i think teachers really there where i'm at have honed in harder on like restrictions and that's why i asked about administration if there was any pushback because there's so much pushback from administration and teachers i'm trying to have families barge in through the wired fences and come and use the school as a community hub and get english courses and have like traditional wearing their like their cultural uh, attire come in for one week for like um Dia de la Raza last week from like Christopher Columbus week, you know, and then now we're having um, uh, Thanksgiving coming up. I wanna focus on Indigenous Peoples uh, uh, day. And so it's like having events there, having um, winter uh, like assemblies and spring assemblies for like shows with like uh, Kinder fifth fifth grade like so it's so much pushback that I get that was stuff that I felt was so normalized before pandemic times that it's like oh no it's too many people it's all this like where's this coming from SFUSD is this coming from SFUSD no it's it's obviously teacher it's a principal's discretion because I visited other schools I'm seeing Harvey Milk Elementary School right in the Castro like they're having all kinds of stuff going on you know families are participating so I feel like I'm one vocal Latino guardian there and i just that's why i asked if it was administration pushback because i'm always there's always a fight going on every week email fight long threads (laughs) because i can't even meet up because they say it's oh it's too much meeting it wasn't too much meeting before 2020 what happened you know so we're on these long threads and i have to cite thread number or, or email number two or email number three, when we said this and we said this, and it's like, oh my goodness, spending until 4 a.m. trying to write up these things. <laughs> so it's amazing what's happening over there. And I appreciate that um, that you both are doing that. Thank you for sharing, really, AJ and Joseph. Really, thank you for sharing.
2: Maybe, um, do, you, do you have any final comments, Joseph or AJ, that you want to make? And then uh, Eduardo can take us out. It's useful to hear
0: I mean, I guess going back to what you were saying before, Kenny, like, it just doesn't feel like that big of a deal. (laughs) So it's useful to hear the different ways that it's landed with each of you and what you've taken from it. I've gotten a lot out of just listening to that and why it's been, um, you know, worth your time to hear about it.
4: nothing else to add here
3: right i just want to say that i'm happy that you have each other you know
4: i'm jelly just- yeah. are too
0: i know andy i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> <There have> been- <laughs> <laughs> in your life <laughs>
2: it's great though it is great <laughs>
1: All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the means from left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what s Uh You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. If you, I remind folks, if you like anything you've heard here, our interview with AJ and Joseph, Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, or YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard us or such as something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Este, um, I'm Eduardo Barco, co host Jessica, Kenny, and Andy, and our beautiful guests, Joseph and AJ. Thank you for joining us. You can find our post uh, social media handles, excuse me, at don Eduardo Barca and at ZeppDKE Zep on Instagram. And you can find Jess's Twitter handle at jhomie89. Thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next one. Ciao.